Well, everybody, let me be the, uh, I believe, the third person after Adrian and after Dan. Let me be the third person to welcome you this morning. Uh, if we've not met yet, my name is JP, and I'm uh, so excited to be here with you this morning and, and would love to meet you, uh, whether it's... Um, after service, whether you want to bum rush me and charge me and find out more information about the welcome dessert, whatever that looks like, uh, we're glad to have you here with us at Pomerado Christian Church. Uh, you know, we talk about here how um, we recognize that our job, one of the things we want to do as a church is to help people get plugged into the people and purpose of the church, uh, that we recognize we're not perfect people, but we're people who are being changed by God to make a change in this world, and that we're called to be witnesses uh, to who God is, what he's done, how he loves, and we, and we do that through our words and sharing the gospel, but also through our actions and reaching those far from God and serving those in our community. And like our church initials, plugged in, changed by a call to uh, the initials PCC. So hopefully it's something that is easy for us to remember. And hopefully it's uh, a way in which we describe how we live individually and as a church. And so uh, we're grateful uh, to be with you this morning. Now we are continuing into um, our series called The Box of Not Yet. And the idea behind this series is if you've just joined us or you're, you're kind of catching up, we, we like to do a little bit of a recap. And the very first week was the week after, uh, was the first week of the year. And we talked about this idea that imagine that there's a, a gift underneath the Christmas tree still that, that had your name on it, yet the person who was going to give it to you just kept saying, oh, you know, I'll give that to you, but, but not yet. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's anticipation that builds up. And then there would be a moment in which the anticipation would turn to frustration, right? Like you said you were going to give this to me, and yet you keep saying, not yet. And we used this visual, this idea, in order to kind of help us to come alongside this, this idea, this thought, that there are things, there are gifts, there are things that we've told God that we would give him, that we want to be able to do for him, say for him, be for him, and yet we end up saying, Lord, I will do that for you, but, but not yet. That box still stays unopened, that gift still stays ungiven, and our hearts remain unchanged. And so then we say, these, these different things we've gone through already is the first one we talked about was reaching people. That we'd say we would share our faith, but not yet. And the main point that we have for that week was that if we are to keep one resolution this year, may it not be just to make our own lives better, but may it be to make Jesus better known in the lives of others. May we be people who are sharing our faith uh, obviously not just this year, but for those of us who maybe have struggled with that or we're on that journey, may this be the year where in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in whatever groups we find ourselves, we are living as a light in a dark place. And that when people ask us why we are different, we are able to have a reason for our hope, an explanation for our hope, as Peter talks about. Then the next week we talked about, week two, we talked about this idea of connecting, that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Because Christian transformation happens through association with others, not isolation from others. And how as Christians, it's so easy for us to come into a place and to not say, talk to people. Or maybe we say hi on a surface level, but we don't always get in deeper to get to know the people uh, that are around us. And we kind of do a self-imposed solitary confinement, a self-imposed isolation. To the point where then we say, well, no one cares about me, and yet we haven't opened up and had an opportunity to get to know one another. And so say, if you want to go far, go together. 
because association with other people shows us that Christianity, our walk with God, is not a solo sport. Christianity is a team sport. Come alongside one another, lift each other's burdens, carry one another, forgive one another, serve one another, love one another, pray for one another. And that's just four of the 59 one another passages in the New Testament. So this idea of the one anotherness, if you allow me to make up a word, uh, the one anotherness is so vital to our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Then we talked about last week the idea that the best way to grow isn't just to listen to what people say, but spending time with God and choosing to listen and obey. And the main idea behind that was that many of us may hear one thing, it goes in one ear and out the other. So we hear it, but we don't really listen to it. And so in Deuteronomy 6, 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That word hear is a word that doesn't just say, hey, allow this to go in one ear and out the other. But this is this word shema, which means listen and obey. They go hand in hand. It's like two sides of a railroad together. And it's like two oars of the same boat. You cannot have one without the other and have it function. So it's spending time with God to listen to what he has to say and then to listen to it and actually obey it and implement it into our lives. So that's where we've been uh, for the past three weeks. Then this week, we're going to talk about the idea of I'll serve others, but not yet. But we're not going to start that sermon, not yet, until we pray together. Father, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for each person that is in this room, Uh, whether they've been here for years or whether this is their first time. God, I pray that you would... um, just bless them this morning and, and let, help them to know how much you love them. Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a powerful, personal, impactful way to every person that is in this room and every person that would be listening online later. Thank you um, for who you are. Thank you for serving us. And may we too be those who serve others and bring them close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so I wanted to start off and kind of share this idea with you about, um, I grew up wanting to play sports, but I have a picture. I um, played on a high school basketball team. Um, I think we have our photo here. Uh, And we're the Wildcats. So um, from left to right, we have uh, my friend Josh. We have Justin. I'm in the one in the center, uh, if you can tell. Um, Then we have Anthony. We have Chris. uh, And this was just a team photo that we took. All right. I got to be honest. This I, didn't, I never played on a high school basketball team. <laughs> this is actually a, a photo of when I was in the, the cast of High School Musical for our church production. So I played a member of a basketball team. And you can see uh, from this close-up here that I have a microphone uh, strapped to my face. Oh, there's the close shot. And, um, and makeup on. So, uh, but this, wearing that uniform was the closest I ever got to high school sports. And so I, uh, I frame it, I autograph it to myself. That's not true. Um, let's, let's, let's get rid of that. No, it's not. Someone's like, yes, it is. I'm like, no, it's not. Um, so the reason I show that is, you know, growing up, I wanted to be a professional baseball player uh, primarily. And I, and I wanted so badly to do that. And again, I literally was, I played Little League. I was, I was good. I Bad, like 900, which is very good. But then this little thing happened where I didn't know how to hit a curveball, um, which literally threw a curve into my plans of being a professional baseball player. So I, had a, I didn't play anymore. But I want to take a moment to think about, I, I pretended to be a high school basketball player. I want to take a moment to think about, do you know the actual percentage of people who play high school basketball that make it to the pros? 
that make it to the NBA. So for a high school senior who plays basketball, and there is 2.9%, that's one in 35, 2.9% make it and actually play in the NCAA, and so college basketball. And then out of all the seniors that play college basketball, as the source that I looked up said, that out of every NCAA senior, only 1.3%, or one in 75, gets drafted by the NBA. So you extrapolate that back, and so out of every senior in high school who plays basketball to be drafted in the NBA is 0.03%, or three for every 10,000. And so we could look at that, and we could acknowledge that people who play basketball professionally, even if they're like the last person on the bench who never gets in, those people are the special few. Like that is a very small statistical ability to be able to play basketball on that level. And so specifically, we recognize that that happens with professional athletes. In basketball, I use that specifically because there's only 30 teams and there's only 15 players per team. So you could do the math. I didn't, so I'm not going to pretend. But you could do the math to figure out how much that really is. Whereas football, there's 32 teams times 53 players. So basketball, it's such a smaller statistical ability or, or likelihood of being able to make it. And so the pros. And so we look at that, and that makes sense. It makes sense when we think of professional athletes that that is their profession and, and they are the players in the game and we are the spectators who get to watch. It makes sense that there's only a special few that are able to do that for a living. But what doesn't make sense is when we view our walk with God as if we can be spectators and only the special few can do the work of ministry. That it is not three out of every 10,000 people that go to a church that should be serving. But that instead, it's this idea, as we look at our main point, that being set apart is not, is, or sorry, see, being set apart for service isn't just for the special few. It's the calling for all of us, and that's including you. That we've all been called to serve. We've all have that calling. And yet it's easy for us to maybe look at the fact that, you know, there's someone who stands on a stage and gets paid to do ministry. And so, so I'm going to stay comfortable in my seat and I'm going to let the special few, I'm going to let those people, I'm going to let the people who seem to have more time, the people who seem to be extra gifted, the people who seem to just whatever it may be that are really called by God. And we say, okay, they're the ones, they're the special few that are going to serve. I'm going to spectate. In the same way that we talked two weeks ago that Christianity isn't, that the Christianity is a team sport. It's not a solo sport. Christianity is also not a place in which we are spectators of that sport. We are all players. We are all contributors. We are all part of the game. And so what we want to look at is there's a section in the Old Testament that, that God kind of shows us this idea in which there was, there was a time in which there were a special few people who were called to serve. And so I want, to, I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 8, starting in verse 5 in your Bibles. If, you brought, or if you're using the church Bible, if you didn't bring your own, we have a Bible that's underneath the seat uh, in front of you and underneath your seat too. But Numbers, five, sorry, Numbers 8, starting in verse 5, and we're going to take a few moments to look at a dynamic in which there were the Levites who were set apart for service. So in your notes, you're going to see two tables. On the left-hand column, uh, on the top, we'll say Levites set apart for service. 
And so we're going to take, you're going to take notes just on that column. We'll switch to the other column in a few moments. But this idea that these people were people that were set apart for service. We're going to hear that verbiage quite a few times in this passage in Numbers 8. But what I want to do is start uh, looking at um, reading verses 5 and 6 to get us started on some of the things we learn from their story and how that applies to our own story. Verse 5 says this, The Lord said to Moses, Take the Levites from among all the Israelites and make them ceremonially, ceremonially clean. We're going to stop there. Now, this idea shows us that in your notes, that the Levites, they were called out from among the people. That, that God says, hey, bring all the Levites. And, and to give kind of a context, the Levites were one of 12 tribes of Israel. So there were 11 other tribes um, that were part of the, the body of, of believers that followed Yahweh, that followed God. And the Levites were, were one of them. And they were t- taken from the, the son of Jacob. Uh, his name was Levi. So they're the Levites. So they were called out. And God says, okay, I want you, Moses, to bring the Levites and set them apart. I want you to bring them in front of all the 11 other tribes and, and make them ceremonially clean. And let me explain why to you. He wants to explain this. But the first thing that we need to know about the Levites is that they were called out among the people, from among the people. The next thing that we see in your notes is that they were made clean before God by the blood of bulls. They're made clean before God by the blood of bulls. Numbers 8, starting in verse 7. To purify them, do this. Sprinkle the water of cleansing on them. Then have them shave their whole bodies and wash their clothes. And so they will purify themselves. Have them take a young bull with its grain offering of the finest flour mixed with olive oil. Then you are to take a second young bull for a sin offering. Bring the Levites to the front of the tent of meeting and assemble the whole Israelite community. You are to bring the Levites before the Lord and the Israelites are to lay their hands on them. Aaron is to present the Levites before the Lord as a wave offering from the Israelites, so they may be ready to do the work of the Lord. Then, verse 12, the Levites are to lay their hands on the heads of the bulls, using one for a sin offering to the Lord and the other for a burnt offering to make atonement for the Levites. So in order for them to be used by God, God had to clean them. We see this idea of cleanliness happens in the Old Testament. We talked about it several months ago in one, of, in one of our series in Acts. This idea that there was cleanliness and uncleanliness. And so for the Israelites, because God was holy, he needed us, he needed his people to be made clean in order to have relationship with him, in order to come before him. And in this case, in order to serve before him in the tent of meeting. Tent of meeting is also known as the tabernacle. And it was the, the thing in which through it, out the uh, journey in the desert, it was the central part of the Israelite camp. But there were people, Aaron was the priest, his sons were priests, but there needed to be people who helped with putting that together and making that happen. So what we see here is that in order for them, before they could even be part of doing the work that God had called them to do, they had to be made clean. Because in order for God to use us, he so often has to clean us first and make sure that we could come before him Not that we're perfect, because we recognize that we're not perfect. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Yet, are we striving after perfection? Are we striving after being made clean? Are we confessing our sins and recognize that if we confess our sins, God is righteous and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, as 1 John 1, 9 talks about. So we see that they're made clean. 
The next thing that we see here is that they were offered as living sacrifices. They didn't have to die in order to be sacrifices. They were living sacrifices, starting in verse 13. Have the Levites stand in front of Aaron and his sons and then present them as a wave offering to the Lord. In this way, you are to set the Levites apart from the other Israelites, and the Levites will be mine. After you've purified the Levites and presented them as a wave offering, they're to come to, their, come to do their work at the tent of meeting. So the wave offering was something that was found in Leviticus, and it was an idea of offering something before God and waving. It's not like, it wasn't like they were at sports and they just did like a wave like around a stadium. It was not that. That'd be weird. Uh, but this idea of, it was a wave offering before God. They were being sacrificed, set apart for God. But again, they were not sacrifices that were being slain to God. They were living sacrifices. They knew they were set apart. They knew that they had a task. They knew that they had a responsibility to do the work of the ministry. And they lived their lives recognizing that it was their responsibility to fulfill those tasks. Which points us to the final point for the Levites is that they were appointed the work of ministry. They were appointed the work of ministry. Let's see, I'll read, continue reading uh, starting in verse 16. They, being the Levites, they are the Israelites who are to be given wholly to me. I've taken them as my own in place of the firstborn, the first male offspring from every Israelite woman. Every firstborn male in Israel, whether human or animal, is mine. When I struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, I set them apart for myself. And I've taken the Levites in place of all the firstborn sons in Israel. From among all the Israelites, I've given the Levites as gifts to Aaron and his sons to do the work at the tent of meeting on behalf of the Israelites and to make atonement for them so that no plague will strike the Israelites when they go near the sanctuary. In verse 20, Moses, Aaron, and the whole Israelite community did with the Levites just as the Lord commanded Moses. There's a few more pass uh, verses in the, in the um, passage there, but we're going to stop there for our purposes this morning. The idea that they were set apart. They were called out from among the people. They were made clean before God by the blood of bulls. They were offered as a living sacrifice, but that wasn't something, a process that happened to them for their own good. It wasn't for their own benefit. It wasn't so they could work the way they want to and live their lives the way they want to. They were, that all happened to them because they were appointed to the work of the ministry. And later on, you start to see which Levites were in charge of setting up the poles, which Levites were in charge of wrapping up the tent of meeting, which Levites were in charge of doing these things. And so uh, Warren Wearsby talks about how Aaron and the, his, his, his sons were the priests, and the Levites would be akin to our common day idea of, or um, current idea of the, the dedicated laity or the dedicated volunteers who serve as a way to come alongside um, people to do the work of ministry. And for me, I remember um, it was just almost a year ago, not quite. We, uh, we moved down here February 16th of last year, so we're coming up on, on our anniversary here. Um, and so the weekend before that, so I believe it was the 11th, was that Sunday. Um, I was at my previous church, and it was my last Sunday in town, my first Wednesday in town uh, at LA, in LA County in Azusa. I started serving at this church with the youth ministry. My last Sunday in town before we left, 12 and a half years later, uh, the elders and the senior pastor ordained me for ministry. And it was a moment in which it was like being called out amongst in front of the people. And, and thankfully, I, they didn't sprinkle me or have to make me shave. But they had me go in front of people, and, and they prayed over me. And they, they had prayed over um, my family. 
and, and my ministry and, and recognize that as a body of leaders at CCV that I was appointed to the work of ministry. And, and I can imagine what that, I mean, I, I, it, was such a, it was such a powerful moment for me personally. And I can only imagine if you extrapolate that to all your family members in the Levite clan being like, okay, we are set apart. Like there is a, a healthy but a very real burden that comes when you are set apart. It's a healthy thing to recognize this is a big deal. And the truth is, is that if I were to stop the story there, if I were to stop the sermon there, then it would be easy for everyone that's sitting out here or listening online to think, yeah, you're right. It is for the special few. It is for those of you who get ordained or who are paid to do this. It, it, the service is for you. But that's not the end of the sermon because... Being set apart for service isn't just for the special few. It's the calling for all of us, and that's including you. It doesn't stop with paid staff or anything like that. We're going to dive into that here because the truth is that in the next part of your notes, it shows us that Christians, that we are called to service. The Levites were set apart for service, and we are too in a sense, but in a very real sense, it's beyond being set apart. It's that, but it's also our calling for which we've been created. It's the reason we are here. We are called to service. That Jesus, when he was here, he said, you know, don't be like the Gentiles who lord over their position or lord their position over people. But instead, be like a servant. Because who is greater, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? But what does Jesus say? I am the one who serves. And with those six words, changes the dynamic of what serving and leadership looks like for all of our lives who give our lives to him. And so we recognize that this is not just about the special few, the ministry, the, the three in 10,000 who do church work. This is about all of us finding the calling for which we've been created. We've all been called to service. So the first part of your notes for the side under Christians on the, on the right-hand side is that we are the church or the ecclesia, which means the called out ones. So the Levites were called out amongst all the people that were the Israelites, and use that same verbiage, this idea that the word that is used for church in the New Testament, the Greek word ekklesia, and what it means is the called out ones. It was this idea that in a community that there would be leaders that when a horn would blow, when there was a need that the community need to talk about or process or, or address, that there would be a horn that was blown and that the leaders, they recognized I need to stop what I'm doing. I am being called out of whatever my current context is or what I'm doing. And it's my responsibility because I've been called out in order to be a part of what's going on. That as the church, our job isn't to say we have a nice four walls and a nice roof over our head. Our job isn't to say that we get to stay comfortable. Our job isn't to say that it's just about this building being the church. That our job is that we are the called out ones. We are the ones that can see a need and we can meet that need. That we can see that there are people far from God who need Jesus, but they also may need food and, and care and prayer and being acknowledged. And, and so that's why we do things like feeding the homeless a couple times a year is that people might look and say, why are you, why are you spending time with people who you know, are, are destitute or going through a hard time? Don't you have something better to do with your Sunday afternoon? But the truth of the matter is, is that we can see a need and we've been called out. It's our responsibility to help people far from God, to help those who are in need. Because the truth is that you and I have already been in spiritual need. Many of us have been in physical needs. If no one cared for us when we were in our difficult moments, where would we be now? 
Therefore, shouldn't we give that which we most needed when we are in need? We could be called out ones, people who reach out and hear the call to respond. The next thing we see is that we are made clean, not by the blood of bulls like we see in the Levites, but by the blood of Jesus. That to use the same verbiage that we heard in the Levites, Hebrews 10, 22 and 23 says this. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance of that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Like the Levites, whose bodies were sprinkled in Numbers 8 to be set apart, and that their bodies were cleaned, we use the verbiage that we see in Hebrews 10, that our hearts have been sprinkled, our lives have been changed, that we are made clean from the inside out. And we have that same verbiage of being sprinkled to be made clean. But then we also look at this idea that in the same way that the Levites were paid for by in the Passover, that because the God had called and said that there's going to be the final plague in Egypt, in, in um, Exodus chapter 12, there's going to be that final 10th plague where God, the angel of the Lord, was going to kill all the firstborn animals or children that, were, um, that didn't have the blood of the lamb over the top of the doorposts, that if you did not do that, your child, the firstborn would die. And yet the, the Israelites did that. They sacrificed the lamb by the blood of the lamb. They were saved and they put it above the doorposts of their lives in the same way that God, Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. And we see this idea that there is a moment in which because they were passed over, then God says, all the firstborn belong to me. I paid for them with that blood. But God, he said for the Levites that he's He's going to say the Levites are going to take the place of all the firstborn of the other, all the 12 tribes of Israel. The Levites will be set apart. But we, in our circumstances, we recognize that we have been paid for by Jesus. That J. Vernon McGee says it this way, the Lord Jesus Christ paid a price and redeemed us back to God by his own blood. Now the Father has given us as a gift back to the Lord Jesus Christ. We belong to him. When you buy something, it's, it's yours to do with what you want to do with it. When Jesus paid and made us clean and paid our price with blood, he can tell us to go when we should go. He should tell us to say what needs to be said. He can tell us to love those who need to be loved. He can tell us to serve those who need to be served. And, and our price has been paid. And so what, we belong to him, and he can do with us whatever he wants to do with us. But before he can use us, like with the Levites, he so often has to clean us. So we've been made clean before God by the blood of bulls. Or, and then in this case, we've been made clean before God by the blood of Jesus. The next point is that we are called to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. That in the same way that the Levites continue to live as being sacrificed to God, we too have that calling upon our lives to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And last May, when we went through our It Starts Here series, I was talking about how our idea of worship is shaped so much of how we live the second week, we talked about this idea of what worship was. And we said that the call to worship isn't just to lift up our voices. It's the call to lay down our lives. 
That worship is far more than the four songs we sing on a Sunday morning. It is how we live every aspect of our lives as a living sacrifices, laying down our lives, surrendering our wants, needs, and our own desires, recognizing that what God wants and what he needs and his desires for our heart are better than our own. And so we lay down our lives as living sacrifices. And then lastly there, the next point is that, that we too are appointed to do good works. The Levites were called, appointed the work of the ministry. We too are appointed to do good works. That it's easy again to, to feel like you could sit in a, a chair, we could sit in a church service and we can say, okay, the, the, the pastor is the one that needs to do all the work. The pastor is the one that needs to make sure that everything happens that needs to happen. And, and the truth of the matter is it's just, it's just not accurate. Like I've, I fully recognize I would be a horrible women's pastor. Like it's just one of those things where it's like, I'm, it's not my job. It's not our pa pastor's job. Not that we aren't responsible, but it's not our jobs to do all the work of ministry. In fact, Paul, when he talks to the church of Ephesus in chapter 4, is very clear of what the minister's job, the leader's job is. And you turn your attention to the screens, it says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to do all the work of ministry? No. To be the one that's in the spotlight that does everything all the time? No. To be the one that is burdened and has the weight of the whole church on his or her shoulders? No. That there, our job is to equip his people for works of service. It's not the doing of the ministry that's the pastor's job or leader's job. It's the equipping you, the people, the dedicated laity, the modern-day Levites. It's equipping you to do the service that God has created and shaped and formed you to do. And then he says, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we are all appointed this work. My job, our job here, when, when you're pastors, is to how do we find out how to equip people to play the part that they've been created to play? Because some might be big, some might be small, it might be of various different things, but you have all been created to do something for God's kingdom, that he has shaped you. He has given you spiritual gifts. He's given you a heart and a passion. He's given you abilities. He's given you a personality. He's given you experiences that have shaped you to become men and women to be used for his kingdom and his glory. That we recognize 1 Corinthians, and Paul doesn't say that we have been given good gifts for your good. He says you've been given good gifts for the common good. He says that we're able to use our gifts to lift people up, to edify one another, to live that team sport faith that we're called to live. That we're all appointed to do those good works. And yet, Warren Wearsby says this, that no matter what task the Lord assigns to us. May it be big, may it be small, maybe it's somewhere in between. No matter what task the Lord assigns to us, it is important to his work and we must do it cheerfully and carefully. I have a friend who she shared this idea with me years ago where she talked about, she pictured that all of us, each and every one of us has, picture, you picture a painting and each and every one of us has a color that is so specifically unique to you. Mine would be blue. Don't take it. But we have this color where it's all specific. Like you're the only one that has ever had this color. And the picture would be remiss if your color was not added to the painting. If we didn't play the part 
God had called us to play. Maybe another way to look at it would be picturing a symphony. And, and maybe you're like the first chair saxophone. I think that's a thing where it's like you have a more prominent role. Um, but maybe your job is just to play like the triangle in the corner. And it's like a well-placed triangle bing, is really great. Whether it's a big role or a small role, the problem happens if we say, well, my role isn't what I think it should be. I'm not one of the special few. I don't have the certain gifts or the time or the availability. And so we make excuses so then that triangle goes silent and the symphony is a less for it. That you, we are appointed to do good works. We are created for this. What does this have to do with you this morning? That when we're sitting here on January 27, 2019, what does all of this have to do with you? We talk about this, 1 Peter 2 and 9 says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That he uses the same verbiage. Peter uses the same idea of the priesthood that had the Levites, that they were working together, that you are a special priesthood. You are set apart. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession because he paid for you on the cross. And that was no small price to pay. So that means the value of you being, having a possession of, he's being, the value of you being possessed by him is a high value. That you belong to him. And so we recognize that because of that, you are doing that. Why are you his special possession? Why are you a holy nation? Why are you a royal priesthood? Why are you set apart? Why are you a chosen people? Is it so that we can live a comfortable life? Is that what 1 Peter 2 says? Is it so that we could get into the right school to make sure that we get the right career, to make sure that we get the right promotion, to make sure that we make the right amount of money, to make sure that we got the right house in the right neighborhood so that our kids can go to the right school and get into the right school and go into the right career and get into the right position so that they can have the fancy life? Is that what First Peter said? That we are called to, we are given and set aside and set apart so that we can make our own lives the way that we want our own lives? Or does it say that we have been given this and chosen so that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light? Is our life meant to be such, lived in such a way that we are a light in a dark place. We are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That people would look at our good deeds and they wouldn't give you credit, they would give God glory. That Matthew 5, 13 through 16, you are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. It's to give God glory that you've been given the gifts you've been given. May we add our paint color to the portrait he wants to paint. May we play the triangle or the saxophone in the symphony that gives God praise. That's a joyful noise unto his ears. And then lastly, Ephesians 2 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's not about how good we are, how great we are at playing that triangle, and how beautiful our color is. It's not our own goodness that we boast in. But that you are God's handiwork. Another word for that, we are God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to live a comfortable life. Created in Christ Jesus to live the way we want to live. No. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You've been appointed good works. There's a role that only you can play, and I can't play it for you. I might be pastor here, but I can't play the roles that you were meant to play in the same way that I wasn't actually a basketball player. I was just playing one. 
But it's not just that you've been created to do good works. It's that those are good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. Not for your neighbor, not for the person next to you, not for your brother, your sister, your mother, your father. For you to do. Because like the Levites, you are a chosen people who can do the work of ministry. You are God's handiwork to mind your own business. No. You are God's handiwork because you were created to do good works that he has prepared in advance for you. You are called not to be a spectator watching a sporting event happen. You are called to be a player, called to be someone who is in the midst of the game, recognizing that Christianity, it's not just that it's a team sport, it's that we are all part of the team. And that when we as the body of Christ are using the spiritual gifts and the passions and alignment, that God will continue to do great things as he has through this church. But we will continue to see people far from God being brought near to God. We will continue to see lives being changed from being sons of darkness to being sons of light. That we will continue to see people who need Jesus and we can be Jesus to them. And all it takes is for us to stop saying, that's just for the special few. God, I'll serve you. I'll serve others and you, but not yet. But it takes us taking to heart that being set apart for service isn't just for the special few. It's the calling for all of us. And that's including you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. I pray, Lord, that you are stirring in hearts, God. I pray some people here, they are, have an overabundance of gifts and they haven't figured out how to use them um, for anything other than their work. And we thank you they're able to use it for their work, but there are other ways you may want to use them in the body of Christ or to reach to the community, Lord. I pray that you would ignite the imagination in them. I pray for some people here who serve a lot and, and it can be a burden when we feel like we're the ones that have to do all the ministry. Lord, may we be people who are equipping people, to other people to do the work of ministry and following that example. For some of us, we've been a spectator far too long that our skills have, been, have waned and wasted away. Lord, may you help us to get back in the game. Lord, ultimately, I pray that people would take heart that all of us are called to service and, and that if we are still here, Lord, you are not done with us. You still want to use us for your good works that you have prepared in advance for us to do. May we take to heart that it's not just about the special few, but that all of us have the calling to serve our lives or serve you with our lives in the church, outside of the church, to bring glory to your name and to bring people unto you. Lord, we love you. We are grateful for who you are. We worship you now and we pray that when difficulty comes, when we're asked to serve, asked to stand out, we're asked to do things that are tough or when we're just going through a difficult time, The question is, will we turn to you? Will we worship you? Will we love you? Will we serve you? May our answer be, yes, I will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So as we get ready to leave, uh, my prayer is that something's starting to stir a little bit, that, that maybe you're trying to pray through and process ways that you can serve and, and uh, maybe starting within the church and then seeing how that can expand to outside the church. And I just want to give you a signal that this year we're really trying to focus on how we can help people get plugged into the people and the purpose of the church. How do we get them plugged in to the purpose of serving and being the church? And so down the pipeline and within the next season or so, um, we're trying to figure out what that looks like. I'm going to be working with uh, Ann Hansen. Many of you know Ann. Um, we're going to be working on what it looks like to find out if you say, hey, I want to serve somewhere. Here are my gifts or, or where do I fit in that, that working with Ann that we'll figure out a way to kind of see how can we get you connected, get you plugged in, saying how do we match the gifts that you have with the passion that you have and, and how can God use you as someone set apart for him, for his glory, to build this church, not the walls and the roof, but build his people, that we would be the called out ones and that we would see people far from God being brought near to God in our community and in the world. So that's coming down the pipeline. I just want to signal that to you so you know that we've, we've got some things in the work for how to make that come to fruition. Thank you all so much for coming. We're so glad to worship with you this morning. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you next Sunday.